Hello, welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, fans. Uh, this is the podcast where two brothers talk about comic books they've loved uh, mostly their whole lives. I'm one of those two brothers. My name is Will Hines. I am the other of those two brothers, Kevin Hines. We are um, performers and teachers at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Kevin's in the, uh, Kevin works out of the New York Theater. I'm in the Los Angeles one. That means that we are both hilarious. We're professionally hilarious, so watch out. We're going over... Uh, the Fantastic Four. We've been doing it this whole season. We've taken on the gargantuan, mammoth, inadvisable task of going over all 102, the first 102 issues and six annuals. Five or six. Five or six annuals. I forgot now. uh, That uh, that was created by the original creative team of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Stan Lee, the co-writer, editor, Jack Kirby, the co-writer, artist. And it's been fun. Uh, also crazy, and we are approaching the uh, end here. We're going to start with issue uh, 91. Yeah, to get through all 102 issues, we've been doing it in big chunks. We're going to do about six issues today, and then we got six issues left, and it sort of ends on a cliffhanger because yeah. uh, Jack Kirby left like mid-arc. Yeah, as we've been going over these issues, we've also sort of been going over the relationship of the creators, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, two of the, you know, the, the two most important creators in the history of Marvel Comics. I don't think anybody would disagree with that distinction. I guess you could have some naysayers who would say Steve Ditko is more important than Jack since Steve Ditko made Spider-Man. But the volume of work from Jack, I think you gotta go. You got to give Jack the nod on who's uh, more crucial to Marvel Comics. Yeah, I think you have to. Plus just how much everybody copied Jack and nobody copied Steve, artistic style-wise. Yeah, I, I, Jack also went to like layouts and breakdowns and covers way more than Ditko did. Jack was the house artist for Marvel That's Comics right. in its peak one of the most prolific and successful runs of superhero comics of all time. And Steve Ditko just did the single most important superhero comic in Marvel by, by himself. And I think the anecdote that I've shared before, I forget who even said it now because it's been a while, is that uh, Stan wanted Jack to draw like Jack, yep. Steve to draw like Steve, and everybody else to draw like Jack. You can see it, too, in a lot of these uh, in, the, in 1970s Marvel comics. But sort of the interesting thing is the creative partnership of Stan and Jack. They made these comics fast. Uh, the collaboration was it's hard to even define, as we've talked about. It seems like Jack did most of it, but then Stan does have crucial contributions. And at some point, Jack Kirby gets fed up and leaves Marvel, which is... You know, a huge, huge end of an era for Marvel Comics, and we're coming up on it. Basically, when he leaves FF, it's near or right when he he's done. I mean, it's I think huge. It's also just the end of an era for... I mean, so Jack Kirby, besides Marvel Comics, one of the biggest comic book creators in American comics history, you know, he co-created Captain America in the 40s. He did massive number of comics in the 1950s. He would continue to do hugely important comics in the 1970s for DC. But this, when he leaves Marvel, it is the end of, you know, one of the most important chapters of his life. His, It's the end of his most famous heroes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even as big as Darkseid is, nothing tops the Marvel universe. Yeah. So this is sort of, this is the end of a time, even though, you know, Jack, Jack is the one who's kind of snubbing Marvel and taking his pen and leaving because they're not treating him right. I, he loses something too. He loses something too when he leaves. Yeah, I mean, uh, he goes to DC and I think he basically like takes over their, their C-list title, like Jimmy Olsen yeah. and things like that. And then he, you know, he does really cool stuff in it. He creates the fourth world and that's way more than you'd want out of the Newsboy Legion or whatever he's writing. But it's also like, that's the only thing they would give him like complete control over as well. Yep. And even then, I think like somebody else re- 
he drew Superman's face when Kirby was doing it. It wasn't like he was treated perfectly when he went to DC. Right. It's a it's a sad end for Nero when Jack leaves Marvel, I think, for everybody. Uh, from a fan's perspective, it feels that way. Yeah, though, I mean, thinking of it like of a baseball player, it's like maybe it's better that he left now. It's like even these FF books weren't as good. So if it, this continued and like, like it's still the art's really good, it would be sad if it got to the point where it just felt blah. You know, if, if Kirby was on another 50 issues and they were just downright bad. Yes. I'd rather have him just leave mid-story. Uh, same for Ditko and Spider-Man. Like, it'd be rough if, like, his uh, uh, Mr. A stuff became Marvel books. It'd be like, ah, these aren't as good, you know? There's something to that. Or just, like, even just, oh, it's still just the same. Going going out while you're still under the glimmer of the best. Not that long after for Ditko, the, the Master Planner saga, he's gone. Kirby's a while longer after his, like, peak stuff with the FF, but it's still, like, within eyeshot. Of like yeah. these sort of great inhuman stories, and his book and his characters are sort of taking over the entire Marvel universe. That's yeah. awesome. So like this, I mean, not that this was any of his reasoning. He left because he was mad and mistreated. Yeah. But if you were going to leave just out of like I've done all I can do, if anything, he overstayed. I'd be curious to know what would have happened if he would have stayed, because you know the only the only people I can think who stayed on something beyond its sort of like zeitgeisty peak is like the South Park guys. I mean, that show is still good, but I mean, they've shepherded it forever uh, through lots of cultural changes. What would the FF have been like if Jack had done it through the end of the 1980s, you know? Yeah. I mean, I would also say I think Stan stayed on too long. He couldn't let go for, uh, soon enough. And I think the stories suffer because, one, he's stretched thin. Uh, yeah. And I think, like, things got better when, like, Gary Conway or Jerry Conway uh, Jerry, uh, started writing more stuff. And yeah. I was reading some... Jerry Conway still writes Marvel comics, and I read them, and they're still pretty good. Yeah. Um, they're not... Uh, they don't feel, like, dated and old-fashioned, like a stand, like a stand comic that he would write in the last 10 years would feel like. Right, right. They feel like, oh, he gets the modern sensibility, isn't quite as good at that as the people who've always been writing in this, but he's good. Yeah. His, his books don't s- sit out of place. He writes for the current artists and he, he's not like over dialoguing still or anything like that. So that's inspiring. My point is Stan should have quit. <laughs> yeah. They needed fresh blood. Maybe yeah, Well, we're going to, we're going to get so. it pretty soon. Cause we're closing in on the end of Jack's era. Yes. So should we um, get into it? Let's get into it. Yeah. We've talked enough. Um, all right. We're gonna start with issue 91. The thing enslaved. So previously <laughs> in the fantastic four, if you remember our last episode, the thing had been kidnapped by a scroll. That's right. Who can't remember that? I had to remind myself. Uh, the cover of this issue is great. It's Thing with some, like, he's got some, like, stone collar on, like you might put on a cattle or something. There's gangsters, like, 1930s style. Uh-huh. Get over here, see? Gangsters pushing him around. And there's, like, weird airships in the background. I mean, it looks like Watchmen or something. It's like he's traveled back in time, which he's done before, so I guess it's not crazy. And uh, we're eventually going to find out that this is a planet of both future and past kind of technology yeah they uh they've modeled themselves after gangsters which feels like it's a star trek plot and i don't know when that episode aired so i can't say if one borrowed from the other or if they're both borrowing from the same source but it's that right it's like a planet that for some reason acts like earth mobsters yeah because they watched gangster movies or something i forget the justification it's something like that it's something like they found gangster movies and watched them i mean I, i i love this is my kind of silliness like i think this is a blast it's a little Everyone much here. for me, even though it's a beloved issue. The Blackbeard story also sort of always felt a little odd to me. 
just a little too silly for Kevin Himes. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little much. Um, but uh, we, and we also have the gladiator aspect. They're they're kidnapping the thing, have him fight in a gladiator battle, sort of like Th- Thor Ragnarok style. Yeah, and that's maybe also a cliche, but not one that bothers me at all. Okay, you like that cliche. I like the gladiator cliche. There's something fun about a hero having to like be in battles to the death and like. What's he do? How does he get out of this one? It, it, you, gladiators are. How do you how do you keep your moral code? Survive this thing that is built to keep you trapped. I don't know. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. Well, also like hurting people that aren't bad necessarily. Um, we get we so the first two pages here we we see the gangsters who are you know they're they've captured thing for their gladiator battles. And we've got some fun vocabulary here. The thing is the strongest one they could find in the Sol, Sol galaxy, that's S-O-L. Right. So that's our galaxy. I always like seeing what aliens refer to our worlds as. It's a fun sci-fi thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a rival gangster gang shows up in the office of the one we start in. And when the rivals enter, they're like, hey, we just want to make sure something. Nobody go for their rods. <laughs> so I guess the guns are called rods. I think that's fun. Their money. Uh, rods, I think, is also sometimes used by us, right? Okay, I don't know. I'm, al- I'm already out of my depth. Yeah. Uh, their, their currency is power stones. That's fun. Because they paid 10 perfect power stones for Ben Grimm. I assume that's a high price. It sounds good. Uh, and the and the uh, the one gangster looks a little bit like Humphrey Bogart. That's all I got to say about these guys. Hey, why not? You can have a bunch of gangsters. Make one of them look like Bogey. So we see that the thing is going to be battling somebody called Torgo from the home from the planet Marin, who kind of looks like a robot. Yes, that's right. So then we cut to the his spaceship. price, by the way, is a thousand barcos. Uh, I wonder what the currency exchange rate is between Power Stones and Barcos. I don't know. This book doesn't get into it. A Jonathan Hickman book would have three info pages that explained it all. That's a real slap in the face to one of those two people. I'm not sure who. Not even a slap in the face. It's a, it's a topical reference for people reading current comics, unlike you, Will Hines. Unlike me. Uh, I'm still working my way, through, my way through 1986 comic books. I can't wait to finish Secret Wars 2. <laughs> yeah, well, that's disappointing. <laughs> so we cut to this spaceship where the thing has been captured. It's a Skrull who has captured Thing, and he's kind of like yoked up as if he's like in the stacks, medieval yeah. style. But it's made of stone, and he's in a spaceship. Yeah, and uh, the Skrull's bragging about how he's a great slaver, which is a thing that I guess Skrulls like to brag about. Sure, it fits them. And the thing tries to escape, but he sort of gets zapped down because uh, they're getting close to the planet where he will be sold uh, into gladiator battling. We cut back to the FF, and they've noticed the thing is missing. They're wondering, is it a big deal? Alicia, Alicia, his girlfriend, the blind sculptress, really feels that something is up. And the rest of the FF is starting to come around to the idea that something might be up, and they're going to look for Ben. That's right. And Johnny uh, it, starts. It, Johnny turns to flame and flies over New York City. It's interesting. This is about three issues. The FF are barely in these three issues other than The Thing. It's almost like a Thing solo story. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I love it. Again, that that's a sort of a modern-y aspect. I mean, they've done it with The Thing more than anyone else. Uh, Johnny had a spinoff series. But just the idea of, like, a team book. It's like, oh, I'm reading The Avengers, but this story is just about Hawkeye today. It's sort of... There's something about that that always feels very modern to me. Where... Yeah. Old Marvel comics, like, everybody sort of had to have their equal page or panel count. They were more diligent about making sure that everybody everybody got used. Yeah, I think maybe it's, even old Justice League, they'd all team up, right? I think maybe it's like, oh, Aquaman's the guy, reason I'm reading this comic. So if you don't show Aquaman, I'm mad. So we got to get right. him in there. 
And I think maybe at this point, there's like a little bravado being like, we like the thing, we're going to tell a thing story. So the thing is walking through the streets of the gangster planet. He gets fed up and he and he starts to uh, attack his captors. But they the stone collar around his neck is a nerve collar. And it's like an electroshock thing. And they can sort of subdue him instantly. Yes. Uh, so he's he's in tough. It's a tough position to be in. He's going to have trouble getting out of this one. All their equipment is there just to keep him trapped. Yeah. I think he's not going to get out of it, and this is the end of the thing. Oh, interesting. It's an interesting guess. You've read these, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's doomed. Okay, so the thing is subdued. The two gangsters who are betting show each other their power stones, um, which I guess are currency and also functional because um, uh, they remark upon them. Ten of these things can power a space fleet. That's the top of page 11. The power stone? Yeah, and then page 12, they explain why they act like gangsters. It's because an old gangster, Machine Gun Martin, who was running from the cops, climbed into a Skrull's UFO, and then he came back to the Skrull planet. Everyone was so enamored by him, they just all started mimicking him. The entire planet. That is popularity. It would be like if I went to a planet and they're like, we're going to do improvised heralds. Your your Skrull planet is a lot tamer. We must find the greatest improviser in the Sol galaxy. We've gotten Phoebe Waller's bridge for 10 power stones to come in and improvise some scenes. <laughs> oh, man, she'd be mad at you for inspiring <laughs> oh, them. Uh, once she heard my story of how I inspired a whole planet, I think she'd be intrigued. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So the thing is, another thing knows why they're all acting like gangsters. They're attacked they're a, by like a... Red Baron-like biplane who's, like, trying to steal their slaves. There's a whole slave culture on this planet. Oh, yeah. There's a truck that says slave truck that just, like, transports slaves around. Yeah, they're they're cool with it. (laughs) And then, um, so this biplane attacks, but the slave truck is equipped with sort of a force field apparatus, and then it can also levitate with their anti-gravity rods. Yes. So the driver of the slave truck on which the thing is riding, once they're getting attacked, the driver goes, stay where you are, slavies. We're going for a little ride on our anti-gravity rods. You know what? Slavery never looks so fun. <laughs> Boy, that's a good take. <laughs> that's a pull quote for this episode. Uh, when the when the thing arrives wherever he's he's being taken, which just seems like another random alley, uh, the the mobster boss whistles, uh, pulls out a whistle and blows it, and then like a little monster attacks the thing. It's they're tra- <laughs> training the thing to see how good he'd be at gladiator battles. And the thing's, yeah, and this little gu- the thing's great at it. Yeah, this thing's called Taxter. thing has no problem with him. Um, it is kind of fun. It is kind of ready-made for Kirby. Just a planet of gadgets, and then you can just roll out a new monster whenever you feel like it. Yeah, and then the thing is thrown into prison, Will, and guess who his roommate is? Phoebe Waller's no, Bridge. No, no, it's something from this comic book. Torgo! Okay. The oh. greatest gladiator on the planet. This is the one we saw a little profile card of earlier in the issue. Yeah, the guy who's worth a bunch of barcos. Thousand barcos. We have a splash page of Torgo. This is a great Jack Kirby drawing. I am Torgo. I exist for one purpose alone. I am being trained to slay my foe when the great games begin. Then the thing asks, yeah, that's real amusing. Who is the poor schnook? You know him well. He is called The Thing, and only your death will justify my life. All right, baby, we got a bad guy. I mean, that's that's this is the original Odd Couple. This is sort of what inspired <laughs> uh, both the play and the television show. Yeah, Torgo is the Tony Randall, uh, uh, Jack Lemon, sort of neat Nick neurotic mm-hmm. thing is your Jack Klugman. That's right, smoking um, a cigar, Walter Matthau, getting ashes everywhere, <laughs> slob. Yeah. Uh, these guys can't they get along? I mean, can't they? Can't they see their love for each other? 
Um, so back on Earth, the FF have not found Ben. Uh, but somehow, wait, Reed does figure it out? Uh, Reed's just searching space. Uh, uh, Johnny asks why. He goes, your telescope's pointed out into space. And Reed goes, I know. I'm hoping to find some clues somewhere out there. But why, Reed? Why there? It's the only answer, Johnny. Someone like the thing couldn't possibly vanish so completely here on Earth. But there is the endless reaches of space. So just because they couldn't find him, Reed's so confident he would have been able to find the thing by now that he must be in outer space. They heard that they heard that Ben was seen with someone who looked like Reed. So Reed assumes there's shape changers involved, which must be the Skrulls. So Ben must be under the power of the Skrulls, which is correct. Yes. But I'm going to say that was not a lot of information to go on. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess they do have viewfinders that seem to be able to look anywhere on Earth. So yeah, they've got the technology. Yeah, you know what? Reed knows what he's doing. Uh, I mean, I'm, should Reed we? should just punch the wall until the answer comes out of it. That's, how, <laughs> that's the Reed I like. Oh, yeah. Angry bar bouncer Reed. That's right. Let's go on to issue 92. Uh, let's do it. Uh, this is called Ben Grimm, Killer. Yeah. So he's still kept, trapped. Uh, the yeah. gangsters come to visit him in the jail cell. And he looks sad. He looks bummed. Now, um, here's something boring that I'd like to point out, which is I owned this issue. I'm I'm 90% sure when I was like seven years old. Like I went to 7-Eleven. And it must have been a reprint because this would have been like 1977 and this issue came out in 1969 or 70. Uh, yeah. Um, and, but I bought it and I had it. And I, so I didn't read any of the issues before or I never read the issues after. I had just this issue, which opens with Thing wearing a stone neck collar in the dungeon of gangsters. And you know what? I love this issue. <laughs> the FF are barely in this issue. What a weird first issue. It just was so intriguing. I was just like, oh, what is all of this stuff? I just wanted to know what it all was about. Uh, it was fun. So, yeah, we open up on a sad thing, trapped in a dungeon uh, with gangsters, <laughs> and he's in a cell with Torgo, the machine man slayer. Yes. And so also the, it's revealed that the, the prison has, like, sort of a computer ceiling that, you guessed it, hypnotizes you. It's got a hypno glow to keep you from attacking your captors. Yeah, so even when he takes his nerve collar off, they take it off so I guess he can fight better. Mm-hmm. Um, the hypno beam has prevented, is, inhibits him from attacking them. So he is really trapped. Here's a fun thing. The guy yeah. in charge's name is Napoleon G. Robertson. <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> so, there's a, so there's an actor called Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. Who plays a lot of gangsters. Uh-huh. And then this character is Napoleon G. Robertson. That's right. That's a coincidence. Makes sense. That's, there's no connection. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I love it. So the thing's going to head into his first battle, right? He's walking to the gladiator thing. We see a lot of other slaves and their slavers who are all like alien creatures. This dude that he fights, I love this dude. This magnet head dude? <laughs> this magnet head dude. It's a little blue guy who's got abs all up his chest. <laughs> yeah. Like literally his abs go from his waist to his neck and he has a head that is that has a huge magnet sticking out of it. Like an old school U-shaped magnet. Um he feels sort of I mean, almost like, like he, a, it looks like he has oxen horns, but they're magnet staves or whatever. Doesn't it feel a little bit like drawn by what's his name Daniel Close, Klaus design or something? It does look like a Dan Klaus design. Yeah, the uh, our eight ball ghost world. Yeah. Artist. It looks like somebody um, that would be in that Death Ray comic. Sort of yeah, like, just, a, a, like, this is what somebody 
is sort of making fun of Marvel Comics to draw. It's almost, it's a parody of itself. Yeah. His, he's got a name. I would call him Magnet Man, but he's called Magno Man. And Magno Man and Thing have a little battle. And Magno Man is doing all right. Yeah, I mean, these guys are gladiators. They're not, not chumps. Have some respect, me. Yeah, well, what do you, you think? You think Magno Man's going to be in there with abs up to his neck if he can't fight? I guess so. I'm just saying, I don't think he's 10 Power Stones worth of fighting. I'm seeing five Power Stones max. Well, max. I think the thing wins uh, eventually. You give me Magno Man, I'm giving you no more than five Power Stones, no more than 400 Barcos, and that's my final offer. I mean, I'm not taking the deal. I'm not selling him for that. What? Come on. Yeah, that's I, always, I like him. Go to 600 Barcos. Other than that, you can talk to my rod. <laughs> All right. You got you got yourself a deal. I'll Venmo you. Venmo me the Barcos. <laughs> yeah, I hope I can Venmo in Power Stones or Barcos. Back on Earth, Johnny has failed to find Ben. Yeah, he, he flew around for a while. That should have worked. Should have worked. He's turning his flame off. For the last, like, 10 or 15 issues, Kirby's had this thing whenever Johnny flames on or flames off. There's one panel where he's in human form, Johnny Storm, but, like, just little flamelets coming off of him. Mm-hmm. I love that. Also, he's been wearing normal clothes. He doesn't put on his costume much anymore. Yeah, he just wears his civvies. I, I love it. I love when Jack draws civvies. Crystal's in her FF uniform, but not Johnny. Johnny just doesn't, he doesn't suit up anymore. There's, like, an unspoken storyline where Johnny's sort of over the superhero thing going on. That's a, a more interesting story than I think is going on, but I love it. Or maybe it's a Storm thing, because Sue's also not dressed in her costume. Maybe the Storm's... She's nowhere forbidden from doing superhero adventures because she's watching the baby. Oh, that's as right. Reed I forgot. Explains on page seven, which is something you love, right? You love that part of the FF. Yeah. I'm not thinking of her as your sister boy, or even as my wife, but she's the mother of my son. This emphasis was clearly reads. And that means this mission goes without her. Yeah, no Sue. Um, back on Skrull Planet, Thing is beating up a rhinoceros man. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to uh, Magno Pop or whatever his name I guess, was? I guess, I don't know, Magno Pop got, I guess he finished off with Magno Pop and now he's on Rhino Gun. Which I he mean, takes out like, in one panel. <laughs> I mean, and also the, the rhino guy's face is, even though he's a big rhinoceros man, his face is clearly articulating a, oh! <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> the Thing beat him hard. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty fun. I mean, like, I think I love this. Uh, they tried Did John to, Byrne, uh, didn't John Byrne have a thing where he sent Thing back here in the Thing solo comic in the 1980s? Oh, maybe. Uh, I didn't sure, read all sure. of that, so it's hard for me to say. I mean, he definitely went to, and the, the champion story is where he goes to, like, the boxing match. So he's boxed as well. Okay. Uh, the Thing sort of acts up, so they pin him under a hydrolo press. See? Which it is, is power big... enough to push through a planet. See? <laughs> But a uh, thing rips it apart with no problem. Yeah, they shouldn't have brought the thing to their planet. He is making mincemeat of every trap, device, or monster that they throw at him. This is kind of a John Wick situation where we cut to all these telephone operators who are announcing to the planet that the great games are about to begin. Yeah. It's like old school telephone operators, even though it's like a futuristic battle approaching. It's so crazy. Old school. Yeah, there's old school operators. There's uh, gangsters. And then there's this weird alien with like 12 tentacles coming out of his head, just sort of watching over them. I guess a gladiator. He's also got abs from his waist to his neck. That must be a new thing Jack Kirby's doing for his aliens. He's given them all super he's good core. But yeah, I guess he's there. he is wearing a slave collar, but he is also their supervisor. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't know, man. It doesn't make sense. 
That's the one thing that doesn't make sense. There's one flaw in this comic. Uh, meanwhile, there's two gangs are having... The sort of subplot of this issue is two gangs are having a rivalry. The two gangs who are betting on Thing versus Torgo uh, are also kind of at each other's throats. And like a gang war is brewing. Yeah. Page 14's fun. We see all the heads of the gangsters of this planet all kind of meeting. Uh, this comic is bonkers. I don't know <laughs> what is going, going on, on in this comic. Kirby loves a, gangsters, man. Because the Magia yeah. was a huge part of his fourth world stuff, too. For some reason, like, Darkseid was allied with a bunch of gangsters on Earth. Like, that was his best choice. Kirby loves drawing gangsters. We cut back to Thing's cell. He is, like, exhausted. He's lying down and resting. Uh, he and Torgo start fighting in the cell. Yeah. Which upsets their the slavers because they don't want them wasting their stuff until it's a performance. Yeah. Why'd they put them in the same room? That's on them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we see all the creatures being walked to the arena. You know, uh, uh, Muhammad Ali and George Foreman didn't share a room when they went to no, fight. No, yeah, you wouldn't do that. Mike Tyson and Buster Douglas. Uh, I don't know why I picked Buster <laughs> Douglas. This is his dumbest fight he ever had. They, they had bunk beds in an Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. You guys get to know each other a little bit. It'll help your fight. Become friends so you don't want to hit each other. All right. <laughs> so uh, the monsters and creatures get let. Oh, there's one human amongst these creatures. You see this guy? We see like a pack of the, of the fighters before they get led to the arena. I'm looking on page 17. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking panel, at that Kevin. same page. Beautiful. A lot of great, interesting creatures. There's like a beaked guy, some sort of blue bearded Hulk, some yeah. sort of six-armed tentacle man, <laughs> and then like Hulk Hogan. And then a guy that just looks like Hulk Hogan is right in the middle of it. I would love that it was Hulk Hogan. That's good for the Hulk Hogan mythology that he's from an alien planet. So everyone's getting lined up and ready to fight. They see before the fight goes, the gangsters let everybody know there is a gangster who is manning a big machine, like it looks like a piece of construction equipment called a sonic disruptor that will, you know, if anybody gets out of line, you're going to get sonically disrupted. That's right, yeah. Because they're gangsters, but at the same time, they got to have their sonic disruptors. So Thing and Torgo are going to be the main event. So there's a series of battles that go first, the undercard. And the first fight of this, the great games, is Primitoid versus Catman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, every single one of these characters, I'm like, give him a book. <laughs> the Thing is trying to convince everyone that they should just sort of, like, not fight and attack or take a run for it. And nobody's agreeing to do it with him. During the fight, Torgo tries to console the Thing by saying, do not fear. When our moment comes, I shall make your death as swift as possible. I, I love it. That's good villain talk right there. Uh, and then the thing's response is also great. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a million. You're all heart, Torgo. <laughs> I do think it's funny. That is FF a funny, is funny response. He doesn't uh, get mad. He just sort of goes, thanks. <laughs> Stanley is funny. Um, and that's the end of issue 90. Oh, we end with the FF getting into a spaceship. Regis has spaceships yeah. in the Baxter building to go rescue the thing. Yeah. I like that this, this is a year before men land on the moon, and yet Reed has a space, like a, a ship in his office building that can leave solar system. Yeah, the last time he went to the Skrull planet, I think he needed, like, the Watcher's help to travel through the negative zone subspace portals or something, but now he just flies yeah, there. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's convenient for the story. So FF's on their way to rescue. Finally. And that's how we end issue 92. Uh, do you want to talk about issue 93 or you want to stop there forever? Do I want to stop there forever? Mm -hmm. um, I want to, you mean you're saying we should take a break? No, I'm saying never ever continue from here on. Just never talk to each other. Oh, no, let's, let's keep talking to each other. Great. So the next issue, At the Mercy of Torgo. So we're open with a really cool splash page of Johnny leaving the spaceship to fly around in space to see what he can see. And I... How does he have air around him? I'm sure there's an explanation. Uh... There's an air bubble drawn around him, but it's not explained. Um... So they're looking, they're sort of trying to trail the Skrull ship, which somehow they're able to do. They can see, like, like footprints, basically, that the ship is leaving in space. Yeah, uh, that's smart. 
I guess. I don't know how it works, but that's smart. Handy technology. Uh, back on the planet, there's uh, Catman and Primitoid are still fighting. Yeah. Yeah, the thing's still trying to convince Torgo not to fight, but it's, the Torgo won't hear it. They get let out into the arena, and Torgo belts the thing across the, uh, the stage or whatever. And we get the big fight. Yeah. The gangsters demonstrate how powerful their sonic disruptor is. This is not a Joe Sinnott issue. Oh my goodness, it's not? No, Slacker. it's not. And you can tell because it's not as good. It's, yeah. Uh, the thing looks Frank. weird when he's getting punched. His rocks don't look quite as clear. Yeah, everything looks a little less, like, boldly defined. Um, okay, so we have a big battle between Torgo and the thing. And they're pretty evenly matched. Like, the Torgo, thing's not fighting that hard. But Torgo can't kill the thing. He's too tough. Thing explodes a bomb. Why does he do it? Um, he, they they here. shot the well, the sonic disruptor at an asteroid to show how powerful it was instead of zapping the thing. And then mm-hmm. like, um, they gave a weapon to Torgo to throw at the thing, but the thing just breaks it in his hand. It's just a weird battle. They fight for a while. Oh, Meanwhile, but the then F- but then there's a moment they the thing blows up the bomb in his hand. Yeah. Uh, cuz he doesn't he doesn't want to fight their way and then mm-hmm. the gangsters all argue over the rules. Yeah, yeah, was that legal? Were we allowed to give one of them a bomb? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While they're arguing, the thing knocks out Torgo and they get real mad at the thing for punching his opponent. While they were talking about rules. To the, so they declare that battle void. They're going to do it over. And now they give them each what looks like giant corkscrews to use as sort of like, you know, staffs. Yeah, they look like corkscrews still with the corks on them almost. Um, so they start like doing thrust, parry, you know, that kind of stuff. But also like, it other. seems like they shoot gas out of them. They're sort of, it's an unfair advantage. Torgo seems to know how to manipulate this device where the thing just sort of swinging it like a club. Uh, and the, the, the gangsters actually point that out. The thing's master. So Torgo gets the upper hand and the thing's gangster master says no fair. Oh. The earthling had no knowledge of the weapon. Then that's his tough luck, Barker. Yeah. <laughs> it's all part of the game. He should have figured it out. And um, these guys love to debate rules. Oh my goodness! Yeah, they, it reminds me of actual board game players. They be they should just switch to Settlers of Catan. Uh, Catan? I don't know. So the the match is going on longer than ever. The odds makers are waiting to hear the answers, and they're not, and that's disrupting people. And so, but then in walks a. A sharp-dressed man, okay. Reed Richards, dressed like a gangster. Oh, right, and he brings them out to a car, and once they get in the car, he they all draw guns on them, so they've captured the Skrull and two gangsters. Yes. Reed, so Reed uh, and Crystal are dressed in gangster style. And Johnny, right? Um, I think that's weathered-looking Johnny driving. Oh, yeah. It's just so bad like inking. Like a 50-year-old Johnny Storm. Yeah, Johnny has aged. Space has aged him. Uh, Reed has named his gangster mob. He's starting his own mob, and he calls it the Reed Richards mob. <laughs> Not the Fantasta mob. Nope. Uh, then um, Johnny flies the flying car around because they're looking for the thing. Uh, Torgo's getting continuing. ready to kill the thing, I guess. Uh, but he can't do it. Torgo can't kill the thing, Will. Too much honor? Yeah. He could have slain me before. But he did not. How can I murder one who has shown me mercy? And then uh, Reed Richards enters with a car and really messes the whole thing up. He uh, blasts uh, the fighting area. They hit. They blast a wall and yeah. Or Torgo grabs a weapon and frees the other slaves. Now all the monsters are running loose. There's this weird thing on the top of page 18, uh, yeah. the second panel. Crystal's hand just sort of pops in and blows up the sonic disruptor. Oh yeah. She's not in yeah, the panel. She, it's like a really, I don't know if that was added in later because uh, yeah. maybe Stan didn't know why it blew up. I mean, it's massively powerful on Crystal's part. She is very powerful. But yes, uh, 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 all the monsters get loose. Uh, it's a complete riot. It's anarchy everywhere. 
So Reed tosses his slaver scroll and the odds maker out of his car, and then they all just run away. The FF run away from this planet that's now in the midst of a civil war-like riot. A civil war slash slave uprising. Yeah. Slash gang war. The FF just hightail it out of Dodge. There's also this fun speech by the thing at the very end where he thinks about Torgo. He's thinking about his pal Torgo. Yeah. I sure hope Torgo and his buddies clobber them bums. You know, it's kind of funny. I never found out who he really was or where he came from. Don't even know if he was mostly a robot or what. But he was lots more man than some of them cockamamies we'll be running into when we get back to Earth. So long, Torgo. Give him one for me, pal. Uh, so he it's basically just goes, we, didn't, we don't really know that character. Anyway, let's get out of here. It's it's one of those stands things where he's commenting on what's weird about the issue while also trying to make it a moment, I guess. Yeah. It also sounds like this man, this monster, like he was a man, you know? Yeah, but it's sort of just like, there's this bit about like, like what what was this deal? Did we ever find out? I guess not. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, and now, Kevin, I think we should take a break and then we should still keep talking. And, you know, we shouldn't not ever talk again. Okay. Take a, just a little short break. I see. Bye forever. All right. Not forever. We're taking just a momentary mm-hmm. break, and we'll be right, right back. For at least our lifetimes, maybe more. Less than that. Uh, this is Will and Kevin from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And, hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, maybe try listening to our first season. Yeah, maybe. We started this podcast by doing a whole season, 50 episodes, all about Spider-Man comics. We even did it under a different name. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Uh, and we did one episode for each issue of the original comic book run. That was done by Spidey's creators, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Plus, we spent time talking about the Spider-Man movies, the recent video game, one on Steve Ditko, one on Stan Lee, and lots of other fun stuff. And all those episodes are still up. They should be part of the same feed you use to get this podcast. So, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, check those out. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. But in this case, we're just talking about the first season where we talk about Spider-Man. All from Campfire Media. And we are back, Whoa, way, Kevin. Way sooner than I thought. Yeah, way sooner. Um, what issue are we on now? 94? 94, Will. At this point, we've kind of gotten through the last arc that Kirby will be a part of. It seems like an arc is maybe starting up in his final issue, 102. But between now and 102, these are all sort of done-in-one issues. Interesting. Is it? Uh, the most interesting thing about this issue, Will, issue 94, is the baby, Baby Fantastic, gets his name. That's nice. Um, so he's named Franklin after their grandfather, the man we met some issues ago, mm-hmm. who died protecting Sue and Johnny. That's right. And his middle name, Kevin, what's his middle name? It's Benjamin. That's right. Uh, they call him Franklin B. Richards for a few panels. The thing's sort of moping around. The thing goes, so you finally named the kid. So, okay, you want I should hand out medals? Very, yes. very By the way, Sue, did you mention? <laughs> yeah, it's very Stan. By the way, Sue, did you mention what his middle initial stands for? How silly of me. It must have slipped my mind. His middle name, of course, is Benjamin. And he's thrilled. Yeah, the thing goes crazy for Benjamin, that's me. Uh, hand him over to his Uncle Benji. And yeah, Sue's like, I thought you didn't like to like to kid around with kids, Ben. Ben's like, heck, that was before I knew his knowed his name. Sometimes the things talk so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that was before I knowed his name, says college graduate space pilot Ben Grimm. <laughs> <laughs> like aeronautics engineer. I love, and I, I talked a little bit about it. I love that his middle name is Ben. I think it's. I think it is so important. Yeah. I don't know how much thought Stan actually gave to that. If it was just sort of for this gag on this page. Yeah. But I think it is critical 
to sort of I, I think it's the last thing that sort of really cements this book from just like the team Fantastic Four to the family Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some modern issue, right, where the thing is bemoaning that he's not really a part of the family, and then Franklin reminds him that they share a name or something. Yeah, because uh, Franklin doesn't understand why Ben's not part of his name, and, and Ben is basically like, well, you know, your last name is Richards, and, and that's your mom and dad's last name, and your mom's original last name was Storm, and that's your uncle Johnny's last name, but I'm not actually your uncle, I just, I'm friends. And then Franklin points out, he's like, oh, but my middle name is Benjamin, does that mean we're family? And it's... yeah. Oh, uh, someone sent me the panels from it on Instagram because I talked about it in a previous issue. And oh, it just it hits me so hard. It's so great because <laughs> Ben looks so moved. Like yeah. this little kid going, hey, what about this? Yeah, I love it. Uh, kids caring about adults uh, as, a, as a father uh, that I am now is powerful, powerful stuff. Yeah, There's a video fun. that Catherine shared with me on Instagram of some kid uh, pooping or whatever, uh, and he's saying <laughs> something silly, and the dad is laughing about it. The dad starts crying because he's laughing so much, and the yeah. kid is just saying the silly thing and then sees his dad is crying. The kid yeah. stops being silly. This kid is like, t- yeah. sees his dad is crying, stops being silly, and goes, Daddy, why are you crying? Are you okay? <laughs> it's so important to this kid to check on his dad. It is oh, yeah. awesome. Anyway, that's Ben Grimm. He's like a pooping kid. <laughs> so Franklin has a name. Uh, and then we see the villains for this issue. The Frightful Four are back at it. The same man still in his uglier Kirby-designed costume, and he's now smoking a lot. Another Kirby addition. Though not cigars. Mm-hmm. He's smoking cigarettes now. Yeah. Wizard has regular gloves, not Wonder Gloves. Yeah, but he very clearly wearing gloves. He wanted to show us his hands just to let us know that he's he's not as powerful as he was last time we saw. Uh, we cut away a little bit to where but, Reed and Sue are good. Well, oh, before yeah. that, we also, uh, Pace Pot Pete, or the Trapster, whatever he calls himself now, has re- brought the Medusa in, which is ah. a weird thing. We're at three pages in. Medusa's part of the Frightful Four. She always was. But we yeah. know now that Medusa is not just friends with the Fantastic Four, She's the sister of Johnny's girlfriend. That's right. The Frightful Four need to do their research. This was a bad move. Yes. And it will prove their undoing. Uh, I think it's going to work out great. Uh, will, you got to read these issues before we talk about them. I think the Frightful Four are going to win this. Um, so Reed and Sue, the Fantastic Four are going to where Reed and Sue now live. They, oh no, they're bringing, they're bringing Franklin to a nanny who is Agatha Harkness atop Whisper Hill, right? Yes. Uh, and, she's uh, sort Agatha, of a supernatural nanny. Yes. Um, she is, we find out at some point that she is a witch mm-hmm. who has been alive since the Salem witch trials. She has a cat, which is also supernatural, named Ebony. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Agatha Harkness. I think it's a great character. I don't have much of a take on her. Beyond this story and like a couple issues of the John Byrne stuff, I don't know much about her. She's such a right turn from the stuff we've seen in the FF, just magic, like a witch feels... Everything else has been so sciency based. It is different, but it's kind of refreshing. And I'm I'm, rem- I'm remembering I might be stepping into a Wollywood Daredevil costume like oh error here, but. So I just want to say that big grain of salt, I could be way off. Mm-hmm. But I think I remember reading some interview that Agatha is a character that Stan actually created. Like he named her and actually came up with the story. And in, uh, he did more, he was more involved in creating her than he usually is with characters. Usually he just lets the artist come up with all the characters and then he sort of decides what to do with them. Yeah. But I think I read somewhere that Agatha is a Stan, I think because Jack was just refusing to do new characters anymore. Uh, and so Stan came up with this one and um, maybe that's if that's true, maybe that's why it's kind of different than the than the than most of the characters in the FF. Yeah, maybe. Uh, 
I bet Steve Ditko created her. Uh, and uh, Wally Steve and Wally Wood was like watching, going, "Hey, can I help?" And Steve Ditko's like, "No, <laughs> I let you take credit for the Daredevil costume." Yeah. Uh, I'm going to let Stan have this one. That makes sense to me. Yeah, that's the story. Uh, I love the name Whisper Hill, which is where Agatha lives. Yeah. She lives in basically the Amityville Horror House. Amityville. Why can't I say that? You also said Horror House. Did I? I said Horror House, didn't I? Horror House? Uh, or Horror House. Okay, I think you said Horror House. Like it was like a prostitution. No, no, no. I, I'm just bad at pronouncing words. I don't talk much. Well, those are, those, those are <laughs> yeah, you're, you're new to talking. Um... The Amityville Horror House would be a great sequel to the Amityville Horror. It'd be a real left turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. It probably exists as a porn parody or some sort. Probably does. It looks like a combination of the Amityville Horror meets the Disneyland Haunted Mansion. It looks kind of like a New Orleans kind of kind of like elaborate mansion. How do um, Reed and Sue find these things? Like Sue first rents an abandoned UFO to live in. Now they get a, <laughs> a nanny who lives in a haunted house. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't know, but. But uh, Agatha is a good nanny, and this yes. I think this ends up being a smart decision. This one and, ends up you know, working out. It should, but it does. And, uh, you know, if you're going to have a superhero kid, you might as well have a witch nanny who's not freaked out by weird things. Uh, when they're, if Johnny and Ben are walking around Agatha's house and some of the paintings are so funny and insane and intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, like on page uh, seven, there's the painting that Ben sees of a bunch of like pagans worshiping a statue and setting it aflame or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, but then um, Ben but, is attacked by the wizard. Yep, an anti-gravity disc that floats Ben up into the air. So we have the wingless wizard is in play. And I got news for you, Will. He zaps the thing with two blasts from his power glove. Oh, nice. On the bottom of page eight. They're not Wonder Gloves. They're pretty good, though. Not as good as Wonder Gloves, but pretty good. And then there's uh, Sandman is uh, messing around here. We got a big Frightful Four fight. Who cares? Who cares? They fight for a while. Medusa's involved. Oh, then uh, Agatha Harkness's cat, Ebony, turns into a giant black panther. You got to go before that. Page 11, the wizard is flying to finish off the FF, and then the Medusa attacks them. Oh, that's right. Medusa betrays the fan- the Frightful Four. Yeah. Well, the wizard's like, what? You dare turn against your allies? And then uh, she basically points out that she's a good guy. <laughs> yep. And she just joined them to disrupt them. Yeah. Yep, you were right. Okay, I was wrong. This didn't work out for the Frightful Four. Like, they called her up and said, like, hey, we're going to go kill the FF. You and Medusa? And she goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come with you. Have you guys been keeping up with them? They're like, not really. And like, okay. All right. I'm in. Uh, but yes. Um, uh, so, but they take down Medusa. They don't need Medusa. They're mad. They tie her up in paste pot peat strands. And that's when Ebony turns into some sort of feral giant monster cat. Yeah. And uh, chasing the wizard who is completely terrified. The wizard always gets beaten so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sandman goes up against Agatha Harkness, but she has like magic powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and terrifies the Frightful Four. Uh, Trapster. Trapster's all that's left at the end. The last member of the Frightful Four. That's got to stink. And the cat has become now like a walking on hind legs, like ape demon creature. Yeah. That's going to be tough for his glue traps to defeat. <laughs> A supernatural dark arts demon is uh, is going to be outmatched for his glue traps. <laughs> uh, so Ben and Ben and Johnny don't even know this battle's going on. They stumble upon Pastepot Pete unconscious. Well, Ben knew he was attacked by the wizard. Okay, and right. Johnny was also up- attacked by the wizard. They've missed a lot of this. Though. Yes, they they were not part of the fight. They kind of come out and it's all over. They see the traps are passed out. They see Medusa's there. They see the Sandman is rigid as a stick. Wizard flew away. He's trapped. He's hanging. <laughs> the wizard's hanging limply in a tree. 
<laughs> it looks so funny. It's so utterly defeated. Um, so the FF are sort of like, oh, what happened here? And they f- and they go to Agatha Harkness, and she's watching the baby who's uh, totally asleep, and she's keeping the baby totally protected. Well, you're not selling that main story here. Reed's exactly. wearing a tank top. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Reed looks like uh, Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Yeah, except stronger. Yeah, he's way bigger. He's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Die Hard. Reed Richards, sans genius, sans stretching power, takes care of that diehard situation in 20 minutes tops <laughs> he fit he just punches all those uh scandinavian uh, yeah. uh gunmen he just walks in the main room where they all are just punches them one punch yeah. they all sort of ricochet against each other they're down for the count they go right back to the christmas party like nothing happened and we see a book called tales of old salem which gives away that uh harkness is from there or something yep and then Harkness says something about being a witch and the thing runs away <laughs> <laughs> I, I like this issue That's yeah pretty, it's pretty I good like, i get, I like Agatha Harkness. And you do need a super powerful person to take care of uh, Franklin Richards. I, it makes sense to me. Uh, we got a couple more issues to cover, Will. Let's get into it. Okay. Issue, issue 95. What's the title of this uh, one? If the FF fails, it means World War Three. Or the title is Tomorrow, World War Three. Mm-hmm. Introducing the man called Monocle, a man I had forgotten about until this moment. Yeah. Uh, oh, I remember uh, this one. This story is sort of dumb. I think the monocle wants to kill the UN. Sabotage a UN meeting, tricking the nations into going into World War III. And his plan to do that is first to attack the FF. Right. Uh, and his monocle has a Nurak ray. It's called the power, which I forget what it does. I'm not... I mean, he walks around with his camera at all times. Um, I think it like... Who knows? Uh... It, like, zaps yep. the Fantastic Car, almost making a crash. He attacks the FF. I think, like, just, it's gotta... just like a disintegrator, right? Like, he knocks down a building with his ray, and the thing catches the building. Right, it's just a powerful ray. Yeah, it's uh, hidden in so his he... camera so that he can walk into the UN building <laughs> with it. Like, you get a good glimpse of it on page 10. It's a Kirby-designed device, no question. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's he's sort of a dumb villain. I don't get him. Kind of interesting. He's got a... Red hair, big bushy mustache. He dresses in a suit. He's got a monocle. Looks kind of a refined gentleman. Yeah. But uh, I guess he's a terrorist that just wants to disrupt stuff. But we have a little subplot where Crystal is going back to see the Inhumans. She's leaving Johnny. Um, yeah, and he's brokenhearted. Yeah, this is a couple issues. This uh, storyline uh, continues through a few issues, right? Um, uh, like why Crystal has to go back to the Inhumans. They just, all it really comes out to be is they just don't tell Johnny. I mean, obviously Stan didn't know why. Right. But like what it's revealed, spoiler alert, that Crystal was needed to like help. Black Bolt is sick and Crystal is like the cure somehow. Okay, yeah. So they need her back home. Yeah. So instead of telling Johnny, they just, they just grab her away and leave him wondering what's going on. Yeah, there's like, she's ordered to go back and so she has to. And he gets mad. And I sort of get that. Yeah. If, like, my wife was like, Kevin, I'm leaving for a week, and I'm like, oh, where are you going? She's like, you can't know. Yeah. And some other person was there going, she has to come, and you'll never know. I'd be like, just tell me. Yeah. I'm it might be pretty- easier to swallow if, if if Catherine was stepping into a dimensional portal with a woman with, you know, living hair. I'd still want to know why. Sure. Sure. But you might be like, well, something big's going on. Yeah, but I think I would try to stop it if I didn't know yeah. what was going on. Makes sense. But if they were just sort of like, oh, she is, uh, she, her brother is sick and she's got the cure, I'd be like, oh, yeah, see you when you're done. <laughs> yeah, take some apples, Yeah, you'd say. Just uh, FaceTime me later. We'll, we'll figure this out. Yeah. FaceTime works uh, between the Great Refuge and New York City, I think. It doesn't. You got Reed Richards technology. Anyway, so they, right, they beat up Johnny and then uh, uh, Medusa strangles 
crystal into some hair and sucks her into a portal. Then it cut to sort of the climax, and a monoc- the monocle, our bad guy, is in the press section of the United Nations with a big old camera, and he's basically going to murder one of the diplomats and assume that he will not be blamed for it, that uh, all the diplomats will blame each other or World War III will begin. Yes, but uh, Reed zaps him before he can do that. Reed zaps him with something called a reversal ray, and then there's a brief chase scene where the FF chase him down, and they capture him, and he's captured. Yeah, they would have never known about this guy if he didn't attack them. Yeah, it was a bad idea to attack. He he made he was like Hitler attacking Russia and then the Western Front. If he had just like tested his ray on like a rock in the woods, yeah, then he could have gone into the UN. He could have started World War Three and then I guess make money. I don't know what his ultimate plan I don't know was. What his, what his end game was. But instead, he attacked uh, the FF, made them interested, and then they defeated him. If you're a supervillain listening and you have a plot and you want to run it by me and Kevin, email us at screwitspidey at gmail and we'll give you our thoughts. Uh, let's do one more issue, Will. One more issue, right? Issue 96, uh, The Mad Thinker is back. And the title of this issue is The Mad Thinker and His Androids of Death. It's another non-Joe Senate issue. Yeah, what's going on with Joe? We need Joe. Yeah, what's going on, Joe? I mean, I'm going to send him a letter. He's still alive. And ask why he missed this issue. Somewhere out there, somebody knows. A lot of that stuff is well documented. Uh, I'd rather get it. it from the uh, horse's mouth. We want to get it from the source. Thank yeah. you. Let us know, Joe Senate. Joe, I know Hope you're Joe's. listening. <laughs> um, all right, so we have another Mad Thinker and His Androids. We open though on a splash page of Sue in a really mod outfit. It looks really rad. Is that supposed to be Reed Richards? Yeah, that's Reed Richards drinking some coffee, and uh, the thing is reading a book about get, uh, working out. Muscles galore and six easy steps. I mean, that's a book he does not need to read. No, it's not. I mean, he crumbles the book into dust. Yes. And then Johnny shows up, and he had been driving around in a race car, which is why he's wearing what looks like a German war helmet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on here. They all fight a little bit, like the old days. Johnny and Ben used to fight a lot. Well, it turns out it's not actually Johnny. Oh, that's right. So, it is. so Johnny attacks uh, the thing. Seems okay, just right. like playful fighting, but it turns out that the Johnny and then the thing that enters are android replacements devised by the Mad Thinker and the oh, no. scheduler machine. <laughs> he's got a scheduler machine, so he's going to replace the FF with identical robots. Yes, as he says in uh, page four, I knew you would contact me at this precise second. Um, so that's useful. I'm digging Sue's look here. She really it looks like sort of a Gloria Steinem, Joni Mitchell thing happening, and uh, I, I wish she kept it. Yeah, so he creates uh, duplicates with his machine that creates duplicates. Not his main power, his main power is scheduling, but he creates yeah. a Duplicates of Reed and Sue dressed to the nines. And it gets them in place, right? Yeah, sends them to replace the other two members, you know, to send Sue to get Sue and Reed to get Reed. And Sue gets Sue easily. Sue gets Sue. Does Reed get Reed? No. Okay, so the three of them get replaced. Oh, no, wait. Yes, he does. Okay. Oh, no, we don't know. They fight, they fight, they fight. The the, the three get replaced except for Reed, and then what, and then somebody walks in that the Mad Mad Thinker has taken over the Baxter building. So what happens is... Okay. The, th- the reed gets attacked and he pretends to be defeated. Okay. And it's okay. not revealed to us, the reader. That's why we're getting confused. Because Reed says things alone to nobody that only the android would say. He right. says, the okay, time is so- 2.11. I'll leave him here to be picked up later. As for me, I'll return to home base, which is very but androidy. That's, which sounds like it's the android, but it's actually Reed. Yeah. he's Because, okay. Uh, and so then they enter and the Mad Thinker brags. Aided by my infallible computers, failure is no longer possible. The time is 349. (laughs) Total victory is mine. But he made one mistake, Will. What's that? He lost. 
because uh, then uh, Reed says, not quite. You made one miscalculation. Basically, his miscalculation was that Reed won his fight. Yeah, you didn't win is what your miscalculation was. Reed is free. He gets the other FF free, and they have a cool-looking battle, and the Mad Thinker loses, right? Yeah, easily. Um, I mean, look at page 17. Reed is getting ready to punch Mad Thinker in the nose. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's to scale, but his fist is about the size of the Mad Thinker's skull in that in that particular panel. When you're super angry in Jack Kirby comics, your hands get bigger. Yeah. They, like, throw the Mad Thinker in to, I don't know, into some thugs. Like the, Ben uses the Mad Thinker like a bowling ball to knock over some thugs, and then they release Johnny and Sue, who are still in their um, stasis chambers, and they kiss each other. That's sweet. It's a dumb issue, um, other than I sort of love the Mad Thinker. Yeah, the Mad Thinker and his scheduling prowess is fun to watch get defeated. I mean, he's not short of confidence, I'll he say that. He mentions time so much. Yeah. The Clock King is like... Uh, Take it down enough. <laughs> what a great superhero dig. The Clock King? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Even the Clock King is like, take it down enough, Mad Thinker. <laughs> yeah, well, the Clock King's whole thing is clocks. The Mad Thinker should be more. His name is Thinker, not Clocking. Anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. Anyway, that's that silly issue. We'll cover the next issue where they go to the beach next episode. <laughs> These stories um, get a little silly. Kirby might be mentally checking out here. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, so... My, my notes that's for this issue. issue, Will, were Mad Thinker scheduled Android Fantastic Four to attack, but he didn't plan on Reed winning. Yeah. And you, um, as you said, uh, you complimented Sue's con- uh, look, even in your notes. Yep, it was, it was very striking to it's me. That's all you care about is fashion. That's all I care about. I'm a fashion guy. I'm a clothes horse sort of fella. So that's uh, all the issues we're going to cover, Will Hines. And do we have anything else we need to do for this uh, episode, Kevin? I got one piece of email I'd like to read you. All right, let's do it. Uh, so this is from Ben. He has an Instagram called Bookshelf Avengers, which is really fun. It's, it's a lot of like Lego Avengers, maybe action figure Avengers as well on his bookshelf, sort of posed fun. Uh, so check out his Instagram at Bookshelf Avengers. But he wrote us nice. because uh, recently, uh, within the last week of us recording this, uh, there's been an announcement of a mini series featuring Frank Richards. Oh. It's being ri- written by friend of the show, Chip Zdarsky. Oh, nice. Uh, and it's basically a Franklin X-Men type book, because in a book you're also not reading, the House of X, Power of X, X-Men comic book, Will Hines. Oh. All the X-Men are sort of banded together, good and bad. X-Men are all sort of t- uh, living together now. Okay. And there's an epi- there's a panel where Cyclops is talking to Fantastic Four and going, hey, does Franklin want to come? And Reed's like, oh. no. And Cyclops <laughs> is like, all right, not yet. So Interesting. something about that sort of like that the F, that the X-Men sort of want their last mutant, but he's a Fantastic Four character. All right. uh, so that's just for you to catch up what's going on in that, that story, Will. Uh, also, just so you know, Franklin's gotten a little older since you've last seen him. Okay, how old? I don't know. I think he's like 13. He's 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 kind of getting up emo-ish. All right, nice. Uh, Intriguing. Um, his sister is a genius, and Franklin is all-powerful, but his powers kind of come and go. Right now, they are gone. So I think he sort of is just bummed to be the the Franklin of the Fantastic Four, basically. Okay, Uh, I see. And he's dyed his hair black. Anyway, none of that has to do with this email. Uh, Benjamin just wants to know, basically, I would love for you guys to dive into Franklin a little bit. So I told you a little bit about what's going on with Franklin now, Will. What are your thoughts on Franklin overall? I always like the presence of Franklin. I like the idea of a kid being in a sort of family comic. I like, you know, all the emotional possibilities for stories is fun. <clears throat> like the one you were talking about earlier today where he and Benjamin bond. Um, and I, 
I wish his powers were more specific, I guess. When he's just sort of vaguely all-powerful, it gets a little boring. Mm-hmm. If they, I didn't mind him being like that as a very young baby. Like, who knows how far this goes? That was kind of fun for a while. But I think they need to... Like, Power Pack tried to nail him down as Tattletale. Yes. Like, a kind of a psychic ability. And I thought, oh, that's kind of a fun way to go. Yeah, like, I think their explanation was that his powers had been sealed off, but, like, some had seeped through, and the powers that had seeped through were sort of... He could sort of see the future in his dreams, and he could also kind of travel around to sort of like a... a uh, a ghost that was his powers and power pack i loved him in power pack it felt great to have this like team of kids team up with the most famous superpowered kid in the marvel universe it yeah. felt right and they were around his age in fact he was the youngest member of the, uh, the power pack but only barely yeah we should do power pack at some point um so yeah i liked him in that but yeah his powers i have the same issue i, I don't like powers that are just sort of i mean it's one of my issues with dr strain he's always been like i guess he can kind of do anything yeah and it's like well what how, what are his limits what what can he do when when can't he do it and i think the recent dr strange story by jason aaron tried to sort of deal with some of that stuff by just showing the at least the repercussions of using his magic and then there's some stories like lucifer which i've talked about in the past where like lucifer's all powerful but the story isn't really about using those powers they sort of just don't tell that story yeah so it doesn't bother me there but yeah in the ff it's like what, what, what can franklin do what can't he do it's where his sister has the advantage of just being smart yeah it's like oh i know what i know what she can do i know what she can't do right uh, but i also um, like him i think it i mean it's crazy he's been on this he's been in the fantastic four so long he predates yeah. most modern he predates all modern superheroes right like he predates wolverine right he's been around since 1970 he so, predates colossus uh like most of the new x-men so the ff having a child is just part of the marvel universe it is such a part of it even though he wasn't there at the beginning he wasn't there for like the first five years uh, you can't not have franklin I do think uh, Stan wasn't ready for dealing with the idea of, like, a superhero team that had a kid because he spent so much time protecting the child. And, like, anytime something stops them or slows them down from having their adventures, it sort of seems lame. Yeah. But he should be there. He should be a part of it. It shouldn't slow them down at all. It should should be zero effect on them. Uh, As with a lot of those things, John Byrne kind of handled that better than than Lee and Kirby. Yes. Uh, I I guess the short version is I like Franklin. I wish he was more specific. That's my take. Uh, Ben also asks if there's ever been a panel of locked jaw licking the thing getting them all wet and then somebody saying it's slobbering time no but there absolutely should be uh, i mean i shouldn't say no i've never seen it i've never seen it either he says it seems like a real missed opportunity i agree ben i agree that seems like a no-brainer thank yep. you for writing uh benjamin Thanks, wrote ben. us at screw it spidey at gmail.com will and uh, anybody out there can do that too you can also check out our instagram screw it comics and our twitter screw it comics uh yeah uh, we post a bunch of panels from the comic books that we talk about on that Instagram page, and then I retweet them. Please check it out. Interact with us. Yeah, we have uh, we have probably two more episodes left. I think of the Fantastic Four. Yes, of the Fantastic Four. We might yes. do one bonus one at the after that. I think yes, and then take We're a short do... break before season three. That's right. All right, we'll talk more about that in one of our famous form discussions. discussions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that'll be next episode. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Please come on back and listen to us. I think wrap up the Fantastic Four issues. That's right. Uh, good podcast, Kevin. Will you also did well. Um, see you all later, Earth. Bye, everyone in Seoul. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just talk about comics. Hi, folks. Sean Watkins here. I'm here to tell you about my podcast slash album called This Is Who We Are. That's right. It's a podcast and a record all rolled into one. Each episode features one song off the record paired up with a conversation with a guest who is related to that song in some way. 
Guests include Jackson Brown, Inara George, Kate Micucci, and the conversations aren't about these songs specifically. The songs just serve as sort of a topical springboard that hopefully will lend a little context to this new album of mine. Sort of like a modern day version of liner notes, only much more personal. The podcast and the album are both called This Is Who We Are. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.